Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. This is Season 2 with a brand new series on the book of Daniel. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Hey, good morning. Good to, to be here and to have the Word of God in our hands or in front of us or on our phones. Um, it's good to have it everywhere. Um, my name's Joe. I'm the youth pastor here at Sawyer and Converge, uh, and I have the, the privilege of kind of kicking off Missions Month uh, with the cross being our theme. The, the, the title of this message is, The Cross is the Message. And uh, to begin our time considering that, let me begin with a story. I'm not a great storyteller, but let me begin with a story. Um, this story is about a man, and he is a, a young man uh, who, like many young men, wrestled over what it is he believed in. His name was Chuck, forgot to mention that. And, and among the many ideas competing for Chuck's attention uh, were the Christian truth claims. He had heard them, he'd been raised and, and been around the church scene, so he'd heard the Christian truth claims, and they hadn't totally convinced him, but he also was not able to easily set them aside either. There was something compelling in the Christian truth claims that he, he, he wanted to put his finger on, he couldn't figure it out. So one Sunday, Chuck went, looking out, uh, went out looking for some answers by going to a, a church. He was going to look for a church, and uh, that Sunday particularly was, it was a blizzard out, it was a whiteout, but he was determined to get some answers. The wrestling was real in his heart, and so, so maybe, he thought, finding a church, he could get some answers in a sermon, maybe he could talk to the pastor or some of the congregants, the church members, and, and get some answers, something to help him, help him deal with this weight he felt. So into the snow he went. But to Chuck's surprise, when he arrived at church that Sunday morning, the pastor had not arrived. The pastor had been snowed into his house and was unable to get out and make it to the service, which is just a, a wild thing. And so an ordinary member of the church took it upon himself to get up and take the pastor's place. The, the people need the word of God, and so he was going to stand in the pastor's place. Now Chuck thought, you know, it was unlikely this guy was going to say anything to help him with his wrestlings, but at least that would keep him out of the snow. So he stuck around for this, this simple man's message. So the man who preached, preached a simple text followed by a simple message. It was the gospel message. The man laid out the way to be saved from the weight of sin that Chuck had been carrying with him everywhere. It, that, that forgiveness, that salvation would come by looking unto Jesus, who died for sin and resurrected in victory. That was just about it. A little longer, a little, little bit here and there. But this simple message would change the course of Chuck's life. It, it would change it entirely, turning him onto a new course that eventually would lead to a, a faithful and, and uh, successful ministry where Chuck would become a, a preacher who would declare with great clarity the whole gospel, just as this simple man 
had done for him. Some of you might know this Chuck. He's a real person. Uh, You might know him as Charles H. Spurgeon. Now, if you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, that's okay. Suffice it to say, he was a respected preacher in our circles at 1800s, so long, long gone by now. But his preaching was so clear and so prominent in the country of England that he became known as the Prince of Preachers. That was a title given to him. The Prince of Preachers converted with such a simple message. Why do I tell you this? Well, May is Missions Month. And it's a month where we shift our church rhythms to emphasize our Christian mission, namely to proclaim the good news of Jesus to those who have not yet heard. And we want to teach them to obey his good commands. During this month, we we do lots of things. There will be Sunday schools where we hear from missionaries. There will be Sunday evening services where where we get to hear about ministries. Um, We'll share in banquets together. We'll, We'll give to missionaries. But among those things, one of our chief goals is to stir up one another to see the name and the fame of Jesus spread abroad. That is the heart of Missions Month, to see the name and fame of Jesus spread abroad. So here's two questions. Number one, how do we go about our Christian mission most effectively? How do we do that? How do do we do this name and fame spreading? Well, Well, second question, what does Charles Spurgeon have to do with it? What does that story have anything to do about this? Well, at times it might seem the answer to effective Christian mission is, is better missions training or, or skillful preaching. But Charles Spurgeon's story suggests strongly that that is not what is most needed. What is most needed is a simple and clear presentation of this morning, this text's truth, and that is this, nothing but the cross of Christ has power to save. Nothing but the cross of Christ has power to save. So at this point now, we're going to turn our attention to the text. And if you've got a Bible, um, you, you, know, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It'll be projected as well. But let me invite you to stand as well. We do this to honor God's word. We're grateful we have it. And actually, I'm going to start in verse 17, which I don't think is projected. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where's the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish this wisdom, the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we stand. Father, we ask that you would supply your spirit this morning to enable a clear presentation of the person and work of Christ Jesus, that his worth would be exalted. God, we we ask that your spirit would woo us and and move us into lives marked by faith-filled obedience, that that you would woo us and, and, and give us a passion, a zeal, to make Christ known, to, to sing his praises, all for your glory. We pray these things. Would your spirit move powerfully? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> if you're a note taker um, or, or seeing structure helps, there's really three sections we're going to move through. The first one being verses 10 through 17 of chapter 1, just giving a little context, whereas the second section is dealing with our text, verses 18 through 21. And, and what the focus is going to be there is that the, the cross is powerful, but the world has missed it. Worldly wisdom cannot understand the power of the cross. And, and then the last four verses of our text this morning, we will dial in on the power of the cross to effectively save all who believe. So uh, those will appear on the screen periodically, so if you didn't write it down, that's okay. They'll, they'll hopefully come up throughout. But let's dive in with a little helpful context. At this church, I love that we preach expositionally, fancy word meaning. We, we take books of the Bible and we just go through them, you know, verse 1 through 5, then 6 through 10, and so on and so forth. And so we kind of have a, a built-in sense of context. We know where the author has been. Uh, but this, this is a text that we're dropping in on to highlight the cross as the message. So let's spend a little bit of time considering some context just to understand Paul's occasion for writing and his purpose of writing to this particular church in Corinth. So speaking of Missions Month, this church in Corinth was a church plant planted by Paul the missionary. Now Paul had three missionary journeys and on his second journey, Paul planted this church in Corinth. And Corinth was a strategic city for Paul in a lot of ways. Paul, uh, Corinth was a Roman city, really at the crossroads, uh, going into the southern Greek peninsula. Uh, and so it was full of diversity. You know, trade, trade hubs are, are usually full of ideas and people and money and goods. And so there's lots of diversity in Corinth. And with this diversity, it's what we want to focus on. It should come as no surprise that Corinth was also a hub for the exchange of philosophy and and winsome ideas. This is where um, popular and persuasive speakers would gather in the the market squares and they would debate and have these invigorating conversations back and forth. And this would draw the attention of of the residents of Corinth or the people passing through. They would want to see this argument going on in the most proper sense uh, of the word argument. And in the first chapter of the letter, Paul is now addressing his church that he planted in Corinth because he has heard that they're falling, they've fallen into doing that same thing with their own speakers, their own, or not speakers, their own leaders. Influenced by their culture, the Corinthians were evaluating and elevating 
particular leaders in their church who they saw as gifted, uh, or maybe they favored their, their particular emphasis in ministry. And what happened is they devolved into little personality cults. Maybe you've heard this, you know, the, I follow Apollo, some say. Some say, I follow Paul. Others say, I follow Peter. And, and some say, I, I follow Jesus. Um, and so, so Paul just calls this out in verse 13. He says, this is absurd uh, in so many words. This is absurd. Only Christ was crucified for you. None of these guys can save you. Only Christ was crucified, and, and he is not divided. And that's one of his pervasive themes throughout the letter. It is an appeal that the church be united in the same mind and judgment but not the same mind and judgment about a particular speaker agreeing on how great Paul is. They were to be united around the message that saved them. That is, in verse 17, the word of the cross, the cross of Christ. Now, verse 17 is where Paul starts to dive into what we will be dealing with in our text today. He's beginning his argument, and it is this. Preaching the word of God, or the word of the cross, it stands in contrast, in opposition to words of eloquent wisdom. Now, wisdom is a good thing. The the wisdom we preached on last year when we went through the book of Proverbs, that's not the same kind of wisdom that Paul has in mind. Wisdom that is helpful for learning how to live a good and right life is, is good wisdom. This wisdom is not so concerned with truth as much as it is valued for sounding good. Um, this was a debating skill, essentially, of persuasiveness that, that looked good in, in the public square. So we, it might be tempting to call the Corinthians a little vain or shallow for, for you know, valuing performances and, and winsomeness so much, but let's consider that this so-called wisdom, this persuasion, is perhaps more rampant today than it was in even the city of Corinth. We are in a world connected by the internet, and so comparatively, we know far more ideas, and we know far more people. And so we hear gifted speakers from all over the world who are pulling on our heartstrings. They sound good. We hear moving stories or heart-wrenching tweets, impassioned speakers telling us, this is what you should believe. This is, this is our world. <laughs> we're, we're all living in Corinth on, like, Corinth 2.0 in, in one sense. I think we can relate to this. But a preoccupation with performance is dangerous. A preoccupation with performance is dangerous, and Paul is refusing to do that. He is refusing to perform for them or to speak with eloquent words of wisdom so that he would not take away from the power of the gospel, which is a wild statement. Crafty, clever, uh, strategic speech might empty the cross of Christ of its power. How? Well, to tamper with the word of the cross through clever speech tends to do what? Where does it draw the attention? It takes the the attention away from the message, and and it gives a lot of attention to the messenger. Wow, doesn't he sound good? Well, isn't he just so compelling? But Paul was determined to make much of God's power, not his power, not himself, because he actually doesn't have power. There's only one place that provides power that can save sinners, and that is the cross. Which brings us up to verse 18. 
I'll read it again to you for a refresher. Paul writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So here at the outset, let's notice just a couple things. Paul has one message, simple message, and, and it is received very differently by two groups of people. So one message, two responses by two groups. The message is a simple one. It's not easy. It's the opposite of easy. But it is simple. It is this. The message is the word of the cross. Now, a cross is that Roman machine designed for excruciatingly painful and horribly humiliating public execution. Consider the image it may have brought up to a Corinthian mind. That can be challenging for us because I think rightly over 2,000 years, we have come to admire the cross and to, to, to think it is, is a, a wonder, a, a beautiful image of sacrifice. But again, I think that's rightly so. But for Paul's readers who had possibly been eyewitnesses of, of real crucifixions, a different kind of image might have been stirred in them. The people in Paul's day saw a gruesome torture device, a public shaming tool of a kind we can hardly imagine. It was considered rude to even, I think this is like Cicero, I think, who said it was rude to even mention the cross in public conversation. We don't even talk about that. Just like it would be uh, rude or insensitive to, to joke or jest about an electric chair or other forms of capital punishment. It's, it's out of place. And so was crucifixion in the ancient world. So think with me. Why would Paul choose to highlight a cross as his message? At least right here. Other places he uses other words. Here he says the word of the cross. Why would he highlight that as the Christian message? He could have chosen a lot of very good alternative words. He could have used words like atonement or substitution, pardon. He could have used the word redemption, the word of redemption, or the word of the empty tomb, which he he unpacks in chapter 15 of this letter quite a bit. But here he says, cross. What's he doing? Why would he do that? We'll get there, but to help understand, let's consider those two groups we were mentioning. Who are they? Verse 18. So look in your Bibles with me. For the word of the cross is folly to those, group one, who are perishing. But to those who are, group two, being saved, it is the power of God. So so those who are perishing and those who are being saved and belonging to this group or that group, it depends entirely on how I understand the cross. How do I understand that word? Well, group one, those who are perishing, they see it, the text says, as folly. It's stupid. To many in Paul's day, not to mention our own, the idea of of dying on a cross does not evoke admiration or power. It seems like weakness. And because it's weak, it's foolish. It can't do anything. It's weak. Far from revealing power, crucifixion, revealed how powerless those who died on it were. That was its point, to humiliate. But group two hears the word of the cross much differently. Opposite, even. Those who are being saved see the word of the cross not as folly, but as 
power. Power. He didn't say wisdom, which is like the opposite of power. He said power. The cross is powerful. It is, it is not simply wise. It is the full expression of power. And so these are opposite responses to the cross. And I think there's something, I think that's purposeful for why he chose the word cross. Because the word cross is provocative. It is to provoke us. It will either, it'll do one of two things, right? The cross, when you hear it, at least according to this text, it will either draw you in and you'll see its power, you'll rely on its power, or it will deter you, repulse you. You're you're repulsed by it. These are the responses to the word cross. It is provocative. There is no indifference to the cross. Sometimes today, people don't really take it very serious because they don't realize that this is like a torture device we can be indifferent. Not so in Paul's day. There is no indifference to using the word cross. It's provoking. It's polarizing. And Paul makes it clear that it's actually how God has always worked. So he moves to verse 19, uh, which is a, a quote from Isaiah chapter 29. And this is what God says back, back to Isaiah 600 years prior. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of those discerning, I will thwart. I will thwart. Isaiah wrote in the past that God chose to work in a way that humbled humans in the things that they were most proud of. For them, it was wisdom. They were proud of their wisdom. God humbled them. The logic is that if God hid himself from those who thought they were hot stuff back then, then this is just how God works always, including right now, in the cross. God destroys the wisdom of those who think they can be wise without God. To prove his point and to bring it back to the the Corinthians day and age, he asks three questions in verse 20. He says this, where is the one who is wise? Where is your experts in the law, your scribes? Where is the, the debater, the philosophers of this age? These were the ones who were holding sway over the Corinthians. These were the ones that the Corinthians were impressed with. But what has their wisdom accomplished? They might sound good, but had they dealt with sin? Had, had their wisdom accomplished salvation? Had it resolved their sense of guilt? No. Instead, all this worldly wisdom did was blind them to their own foolishness. They thought they were wise, but they were fools. And it blinded them. And and it revealed their own powerlessness to actually deal with sin. This is what our world does today, right? All of the, the popular ideas, they don't deal with sin. They don't deal with guilt. It's folly. This is an important warning for the church today, our church and church global, as we continue to build his kingdom. This is missions month. Are we tempted to seek a type of wisdom that actually might empty the cross of its power? Are we tempted to be preoccupied with church growth strategies? Or are we tempted to be preoccupied with creating cool worship environments that fills the pews? Are we preoccupied with drawing in more online views and having a better online presence? Are we preoccupied with preaching that's relevant to what's happening in the news? or finding good guest speakers, all to the neglect of the message of the cross. 
Apart from all these things, verse 21 tells us God has purposefully determined, verse 21, he has purposely determined to destroy those pursuits that seem wise by bringing power for salvation, the ultimate power, through something that seems really foolish. The word of the cross. He has made himself known in a way that eludes all worldly wisdom, all worldly worldviews. It's been hidden. Which begs the question, why would God do that? Why would God work in that way? Why would he hide himself from those with worldly wisdom? It was this. It was to show that no one can save themselves, no one can save others through their own clever ideas or ingenuity or skills. Being clever makes us proud. Winning an argument makes us proud. But God humbles the proud, and he brings them low so that he may exalt them in their lowliness. God wants us to come to him needy. God wants us to come to him lowly, not an accomplishment. Those who know they are needy are those who see the power of the cross. Those who are needy and they know it. I mean, the reality is we're all needy, but those who know their neediness see the power of the cross. So while there are many good ideas out there, and many things that really are worth promoting, the only thing with power sufficient to save sinners and fuel our Christian mission, I mean, Missions Month is great, the only thing that has power to save that we should be exporting is the upside-down, seemingly foolish and weak message of the cross. The power of the cross, in summary, it just can't be recognized or realized by any alternative philosophies and worldly wisdoms. It is the cross alone that has power, which is what we move on to consider next in verse 22. <clears throat> but before we, we dive in, let it, let it be clear to us, friends, that, that it is not a messenger who, who, who saves or their ingenuity. It is the cross alone that has power to save. But until now, we haven't really unpacked the message of the cross. We've just said it's powerful, and it's an unlikely power source, but so it is. But we haven't unpacked what that message is, actually. What is the cross? Well, it's, it's not a message about just any cross, and Paul's message is not primarily about crucifixion and torture, strictly speaking. Uh, Paul's message is about a very specific cross. Verse 23, he says this, We preach Christ crucified. Christ crucified. The crucifixion is not a criminal's, but it is the Christ's. And Christ is not Jesus's last name. It can seem like that because it's paired together. Christ is not his last name. It is his title. And his title comes complete with authority and power. So the word means to anoint, and so you anoint someone for different reasons. And, and so to be anointed is to be a, for, for the role of, of a prophet, to speak for God. It, you, you would be anointed for the role of being a priest to offer intercession for people. And you'd be anointed to become king. King David was anointed. And so when we read the word Christ, this is what it means. He is the prophet, the priest, the king of the universe. He is the one anointed by God to be a king. This is the cross of the Christ. 
which is like, I don't know if this is helpful, but like if you met Queen Elizabeth, you wouldn't think that Queen was her first name. You, you still might say, you'd probably say your majesty, right? But because she's the queen, it, you, you're all of a sudden, you realize who you're talking to. And it puts you in proper, it's a title uh, that has authority. Um, so the word of the cross <clears throat> is not just any cross. It is that the king of the universe the cosmos was sent to deliver his people and it wasn't by toppling the Roman government or bursting the bonds of the pagan rulers or sweeping his people up into the clouds. He was, the, the Christ was sent to save his people through crucifixion on a cross. I mean, can, you, can you even imagine how far below the dignity of a king that is? Kings would not go out to watch crucifixions. They wouldn't talk about crucifixions if they could help it. This is, this king, the king on a cross is, it's downright scandalous, which I think is an appropriate word. It's in the, it's in the text. The stumbling block for the Jews is the word scandalous, basically. This is scandalous. To a Roman or a Greek, this message would sound, as we've already mentioned once, this is far from powerful. A crucified king sounds like a weak king. It sounds foolish, not wise. What do dying kings possibly do? So that's, that's the Romans and the Greeks. The Jews had a problem with this too. The Jews thought that the Christ, I mean, they know the, what the Christ means. They're thinking that the Christ should have power and he should prove his power by performing miraculous signs. He should be able to, which is really, you know, kind of an interesting thing we could think more about because he did perform signs, a lot of them, but the Jews didn't, didn't catch it. But they had a problem with a crucified king right? He did, he did signs, but he died on a cross, the stumbling block. So that's one group, the group that is perishing. But remember that other group, those who are being saved, they see power in the cross. Let's think more about the, the various descriptions of this group in, in the text. So I think I have the, the, the table or the chart here. Dad, you got that? So the, the top three are, are those who are, are being saved. And the, the bottom three characterize those who are, are perishing. So in these top three descriptions, I think we can begin to see God's wisdom in, in sending a crucified king. Those who are being saved, well, they're just that. They're not saving themselves. They are, they are being saved. Someone is saving them. They're not, they're not saving themselves. Those in this group do not trust in their own ideas and strength, but number, oh, those who are being saved, those who believe. Okay, I guess it's first, third, fifth are those who are being saved. Second, fourth, sixth, it's every other, um, are those who are perishing. Um, the third one, those who, are, who believe, these, these who are being saved, they believe in God's idea of the cross. They, they, don't, they don't trust in their own strength. They know they've got no strength. They trust God's idea. Those who are being saved, I think the fifth bullet point, also recognize that they are called. They, they realize they must be drawn by God. They're not going to arrive at a knowledge of God through their cunning, through their skill. They know God needs to awaken them. So do you see the trend in, in number one, three, and five? <clears throat> Those who are saved are those who know they are needy. 
those who know the need to repent of pride daily, those who know their weakness and turn to Christ. Friends, this is something we, we, we accept when we, when we first come to believe in Christ, but this is something we, we don't stop being needy. The, the message of the cross is for, for those of us who are believers too. We are always needy and we come and find our power in, in, in God's uh, work on the cross. Okay, the second group, um, which is bullet point two, four, six. Um, though th- this group is those who are impressed with their own power and their own strength, their own goodness, and their own pride. But here's what happens. People who are, who are strong, who think they're wise, they will not recognize that they need to be saved. They won't realize that their so-called wisdom is actually bankrupt, that their so-called power is feeble, that their goodness is actually selfishness. True, uh, they, they may see their soul in need of some help. They've got some sin, but it's not really that bad. But they might not realize, or they won't realize, but that what they really need is a complete rescue. This, they need a, a resurrection. And, and let me just say, um, if this is the case for you, if... if let me, let me share the words of C.S. Lewis. Uh, he wrote this in a book called Till We Have Faces, not the Chronicles of Narnia. But one of his characters in, in the book says near the end, he says this, gives this advice, die before you die. There will be no chance after. Die before you die. There will be no chance after. Here's what that means. Cast off your pride. Realize you're not that strong. Realize you're not that smart but you don't have to be. Die to yourself. Die to your own preoccupation with yourself. Forget the idea that you can figure this out on your own and turn to Christ. Turn to Christ and receive forgiveness and life. This this is what our God loves to do. He loves to forgive those who come to him. And you know, he doesn't need fancy lights and he doesn't need trendy music. He doesn't need eloquent sermons or winsome philosophy. God demonstrates his power in weakness. In weakness. By saving weak people. Not through their efforts, not because they're awesome, but through a crucified Christ. We exert no power of our own in being saved. To do so, as Paul said, would empty the cross of its power. It would would give the power of salvation to us. Our job, as Jesus came preaching, was to repent and believe, to to turn away from our own pride and believe the message of Christ crucified. Believe in the effective sacrifice of God for your forgiveness. Friends, power for salvation belongs to Jesus. It belongs to our Christ and our King. It does not belong to us, not even in a little bit of a measure. His sacrifice on the cross is what saves. And it has power to save all who believe. And not just from some of their sins, but all of them. He is mighty to save. I love that we sing that song here. He is mighty to save. And and friends, when we realize that, when we realize he is mighty, not us, and that all of the power is in him and not us, well, then we're ready to come to him. 
aren't we? We're ready. We, we've, we've let go of all the things we hold on to for our significance, and we come to him open-handed. We are ready to receive with weakness the gift of salvation from him. The power of the cross of Christ can save those who believe. Amen? <clears throat> so just a couple concluding thoughts. Um, this is not just a message. Um, Rob gave me this sermon title in this text that the cross is the message, the cross as the message. It's not just a message. It is the message of our faith. It is the distinctive of Christian character to, to be cross people. It, it, is, it is the message of our faith, and God does not let it land on human hearts and do nothing. That's not how God works Remember, the word cross is provocative, and this word is intended to provoke us and move us. So let's consider some of the ways I think this text intends and wants to, to move and provoke us. So I've got four things. Number one uh, is this. This kind of text ought to cause us to boast in the Lord, Make a, make a real-life practice of boasting in the Lord. Consider how many times we boast in our own stuff, our own talents. Boast in the Lord. One reason God chooses what seems weak in the world, like a cross, is that it actually shames, brings low those who think they're strong. And, and he chooses what's foolish to shame those who think they are wise. Why? So that humans cannot claim to have saved themselves. Your opinions are fine, but they cannot save you. And your talents and skills are okay, but they can't deal with your sin. They can't. It's all God. You and I have nothing to boast about in ourselves, but we do have a merciful and powerful crucified king to whom we are united and whom we can boast greatly. We can sing his praise, we can brag on him and boast in him and let that be uh, uh, what marks us in, in our lives and in the weeks to come. Um, actually, I, I don't know how this ties in, but I was just really impressed with this. Paul starts his first letter to the Corinthians uh, talking about weakness. The cross is weak. And, and, and he ends his second letter to them really stressing the same thing. Uh, Paul says this in cha 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. If I must boast, Paul says, I'm actually going to boast in the things that make me that that show my weakness. Can you think of how absurd that is? I'm going to brag about how unarticulate I am. I'm going to brag about how bad I am at, at presenting the gospel. I'm going to brag about how ineffective I am at work. Well, that, those might not all be the you know the most appropriate applications of the text, but but he boasts in the things that reveal he is weak. Why? Well, God says to him in the next chapter. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is actually made perfect in your weakness. So when you're weak, it reveals that I am strong. That is just an amazing thing. That's where Paul starts his first letter and ends his second letter. God's power is revealed in your weakness. So boast in his power and boast in your weaknesses. It's a good thing. This is the message that has power to save. We pray for our, our loved ones who don't know the gospel. They don't know the love of Jesus. Let's boast in his power to save and let's boast in our own weakness. We'll get to that in a minute. All right, number two. It's related to the first application. I think this is another way the message is to move us this text. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. 
And this is a hard one. And this is for those who have put their faith in Christ, especially, I mean, I guess it's for all of us. You may know that it is God who saves. Good. But, but don't we all, if you're like me, have this ability to, to believe or at least act like I can do an okay job managing my sin? I can do a pretty good job reducing its negative effects, or I can be a generally good person doing more good than bad. Hear this. You can't save you. Have we, have, we've said it enough times this morning. You can't save you because your sin is not a small issue. My sin is not a small issue. It is deadly. Consider, therefore, where it is you might be trying to do some of this. Manage your sin and trying to be your own savior. And when you've identified those places where you might be doing that, repent of it, cast it off, and then turn to God boasting in his power to save. Resolve, as Paul says in chapter 2, verse 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Thirdly, take comfort. I think this text provides us a lot of comfort. I get this in chapter 2, verse 5. Paul goes there after our text. And, and here it is. If you put your faith in Christ, if that's, where, if that's you this morning, you've done that, or, or, or you want to do that, when you put your faith in Christ, you can be confident that you have this faith because of God. You have this faith because of God. <clears throat> it was not a fancy preacher, and it was not a camp atmosphere or a play on emotions that, that is the reason for why you are in Christ. Your faith is in Christ because of what God did in you. We recognize Christ saves us. It is his work. And if it's his work, we can be pretty confident in God's power that it will last. So if your faith is in Christ and you're, you have doubts, man, recognize God saves you and is holding you. I think that's a comfort that this text is to give us. And then fourthly is this, take courage. Now, this is missions month, so we're thinking about the gospel. This is the message we, we, don't, we don't just cherish, we do, but we give it away. And you might feel, I'm not a very smooth or confident communicator. I don't, I don't really know how to talk about Jesus with others. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because your smoothness would never have saved them anyway. It just, it just wouldn't have saved them. Eloquent words of wisdom don't save people. And neither do yours. You don't have to be an expert. Paul says about himself, I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling, and my speech and my message, get this, were not even in plausible words of wisdom. Paul did not even sound plausible, but it was a demonstration of the Spirit's power to change hearts through the cross. So, so take courage. Talk about Jesus with people because it doesn't matter about how good or bad or eloquent you are. Your smoothness wouldn't save them. Here's, here it is. Whether you realize it or not, Knowing our need of the cross of Christ is what you and I most need to hear every day. Your friend or your spouse or your children, they don't need to be told that their sin is not that big of a deal or that they can manage their sin. What they all need is to come in their weakness to the cross and they need to know that they can come in weakness to the cross. This is true of our neighbors and our nations. They don't need to be wooed by better performances. They don't need that. What they need is to come in weakness to the cross. Their sin is deadly, but God is mighty to save. That's what they need. The weight of the souls of those not yet saved can't be lifted by your 
your, your designs, they can only be lifted up to God by the power of God displayed in the cross of Jesus. Through the cross, God powerfully saves those who are weak, continues to. And in wisdom, God saves those who know they are fools. So come to him weak. Come to him the fool, because he stands ready with mercy and with power to forgive the lowly and bring them to himself. This is his delight. And this is the message that powerfully saved Chuck that we talked about so many minutes ago. And it is the message that is to characterize our own lives and to characterize our Christian missions as we take the world or take the the gospel to the world. What the world needs is salvation. And the only thing with power for something like that is the mighty cross of our Christ. Let me read a a short, uh, it just feels like a doxology is right. I know we'll do a benediction at the end too. Just bring it on extra. Um, Hear these words. Worthy is the lamb who was slain in weakness. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing, honor, glory, and might forevermore, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we... Trust that your word has gone out. It has been spoken. May it not return to you void. Would it not return to you empty? Would, it, would you display your power by, return, by, 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 by your word returning to you in, in songs of grateful praise, exalting you for your power? And would the word of the cross be championed among the nations. No other message, just the message of the cross, the powerful cross. Would that be championed among the nations, bringing forth a multitude of praises from peoples from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.